This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Happy Monday. Welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Today we have an Indiana update with myself and Corey Godar. Corey, thanks for hopping on, man. Hey, Jake. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk about this today. I think we uh, we had a great week out there. So We did, yeah. It's, interesting topics to cover. Yeah, it's, uh, it's top of mind right now, so I wanted to get this thing on paper as quickly as we could before we start forgetting stuff, and maybe we can listen to this and it'll help us out a little bit before we get back out there, too. I sure hope so. We need it, man. Yeah, we definitely do. So, uh, Indiana, we've kept it under wraps pretty good up to this point, I would say. And we went out, we scouted it uh, this spring slash early summer, found some good stuff, found, you know, a couple really nice sheds, found a lot of sheds in general and put some cameras out. Uh, we were going to let them soak until the summer and go out and check them. So, uh, basically we focused on hubs and there's a lot to stem off of that, but it's just such a good starting point. So we found some hubs with some good sign in the bottom of them. We figured it'd be a really good place to get inventory of deer. And then we could figure out how to make our moves in the a little bit of different terrain as opposed to what we're used to. So, uh, Corey, we, we put those cameras out and they were pretty much all messed with in some way, shape or form. There was very little Intel to be had. I think what we put out about 10 cameras total. Yeah. In that ballpark. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think we, we did have a few stolen. Um, we definitely dealt with some green up, you know, cause we placed, we placed these cameras pretty early on in spring and before green up, which, you know, that was. We kind of covered that in our last Indiana update, but it was definitely a takeaway there that got to be prepared for that. You got to make sure you're taking the time to go back and either reset those or maybe just wait to put your cameras out till the summer. But uh, we definitely lost a lot of intel uh, just due to that. Yeah, we definitely did. And then we we did make a trip out there. Uh, obviously, we found that a bunch of our cameras were just not functioning the way we wanted. Some were stolen. Some had cards messed with. Like you said, there was some green up that were issues for some. So overall, not extremely happy with those cameras that we put out early. But we did what we've been doing, and we just made sure that we 
got everything in order. So we went through, we put new cameras out, we touched everything up, uh, sprayed it down with some buck fever on some of these scrapes to just try to get some activity. We scouted some new areas and found what we thought would be some good success in some new areas as well. So going into season, I was excited. I feel like, almost feel like we had more deer on camera earlier. Maybe it never it never really shifted back the way that I anticipated, but I think there's a reason for that. I think that the oaks out there this year didn't produce nearly as many acorns as Ohio did or as Kentucky did, in my opinion. Like I just I haven't been finding a lot of oaks. So we didn't see a huge shift back. The one of the other big things is just from like a quality of deer, we really didn't get on many big deer with our cameras and not even just like big antler deer, but we really didn't get on any old deer. Like there's only a couple three plus year old bucks that I feel like we had on camera anywhere. Uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I pulled cards. So I, I actually went out uh, without Jake uh, on the opener for two days, pulled a few cards and the density of deer for sure was there. Um, the quality, you know, we had uh, several three-year-olds, but it seemed like the area we had chosen was kind of maxing out in that like 120s range and <clears throat> nothing wrong with that. And we'd love to shoot a 120 out there. We kind of were expecting, I guess, something a little different uh, just based off the hills, the amount of egg. It it seemed to set up that it, it could produce giants and, and maybe there is giants. We just were off. But, you know, we we took the time to hang a lot of cameras and, and we did pull a lot of cards that first weekend. And there's a lot of deer in there, just not, I guess, essentially what we were expecting. But there's nothing wrong with that. So still uh, still excited to hunt out there for sure. But Oh, 100%. And this is where the three to five year plan comes into play for me like would we love to kill one out there this year absolutely and i definitely think that we can i think that we've been putting a ton of work in but for me i'm looking at it and it's like okay i want to take this let's say you know 250,000 acre section and i want to cut that down into like 5,000 of the best acres that we can find and then just focus on that core area and that's going to take a lot of work when you're out of state because running cameras like i said some of them you're going to have failures and you just plain and simple can't cover enough ground and can't scout enough ground to really be extremely successful your first year. Like, can you get in there and then find and almost luck into a good spot? Yeah, you can. But more times than not, I feel like somebody's going to go out there and they're not going to be in the right spot to start, even if they did find some good sign. And you're going to have to fine tune that to your own expectations and, and goals. I think we've done a good job of that, man. Um, the first trip, I mean, you were you were close on the first trip. Let's cover that a little bit. So you go out for the opener and you're immediately on deer the first morning, right? Yeah. So it was an interesting setup because the majority of the stuff we scouted, we set up for south winds, um, even southwest, west winds. And when we got out there, we had that that long spur to east and northeast winds right out the gate. And so Joey and I uh, decided to go hunt a hub. And this hub in particular was basically a drainage inside a series of drainages. And so what we learned is the system to the west and the system to the east were kind of dry. And we did find that the hub in the middle seemed to basically be the center focal point of all the deer activity. And so the, what we tried to do essentially is backdoor them in the morning. So we knew the deer were down in the egg in the bottom and making their way up the hub system to bed in the back of the hub, you know, right around daylight. Our plan with that was basically to come in the morning with the wind in our face and get in way early and set up. We got real aggressive. We set up in the bottom with the deer on the hub scrape right at the back of the hub. This particular hub, the drainage splits like a Y and it doesn't basically split into micro hubs. It just kind of dies out. But what we tried to do is take that Y and kind of suck back into the corner that the wind was blowing into the best. 
so that we could at least have the wind blowing, you know, into the drainage that we were basically going to give up. And we were basically saying we're going to hunt the other side of the Y, but give up this side. And what that allowed us to do is have a little bit of a thermal pull, um, but also the wind in our face. And right out the gate, you know, we spent probably 20 minutes picking a tree, but as soon as we got set up, you know, we hear them coming. And this is October 2nd, October 1st. Can't remember exactly, but um, literally these deer were coming up this system and opening it up like a, basically like a late October scrape line. And we just heard them working everything essentially from the head of the drainage all the way to the back. Problem was they got back there about 10 to 15 minutes before legal light. And so we had the first buck kind of just meandering in front of us, just destroying saplings, ripping up the scrapes. And finally it, it became legal. And he did hop the creek and he ended up at 13 yards uh, to my strong side. Unfortunately, it was just still kind of too dark and uh, we didn't shoot him. So he uh, he did eventually get our scent. Um, he blew and kind of just took off out of there. But um, it worked. I mean, we had him and we we just sat tight, hung tight because we could still hear more deer. And that was a takeaway in itself that we we did just have a mature buck blow at us at, at 12 to 13 yards. Um, he scattered up the hill. But you got to remember to sit tight because we got we got antsy. We kind of got upset with ourselves like, hey, we we probably should have been ready. We should have had the camera on. Bow should have been in my hand. But if we had just not got upset with ourselves and sat tight, little did we know there was another bachelor group coming down the hill to hit the upstream. So three more bucks made their way down as we're kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, just... <laughs> Pity pat in, throwing a pity party, and they got us uh, moving and talking. And so they blew out of there. Well, after, you know, 20 minutes goes by, it's now like well in the daylight and we can see pretty well. And a couple of does came down the hill, worked their way in and kind of hung out for a little bit. They kind of meander off and Joey looks to his right and there's a buck at 12 yards just staring at us. So he ended up blowing out. So we, we essentially blew this whole system out, um, which, you know, it sucks, but we were definitely in the game. And the one takeaway was that, you know, being able to tuck back into that, that why of that drain system and use that to be a thermal pull, or use that to put the wind in your face and, and give up that corner, but still being able to hunt the system. It worked. I mean, had it been five to 10 minutes later that that first buck came through, we probably would have killed him. I mean, he was 10, 12 yards right there. It's just, you know, sometimes they come back before before daylight. Sometimes they don't. So um, a little bit of luck there, but you know, it was a heck of a heck of a first hunt in Indiana. Yeah. And you guys were, I mean, you were close to getting it done right off the bat. So that's awesome. And I did find myself doing a lot of that same type of setup where we have these ridges scouted or we think the deer are inhabiting these ridges that set up really well for a south drainage runs to the north well you get that north and you just come in from the backside and then give up that one you know the top of the y basically going whatever way that the wind is blowing and that's really effective the thing is like what i've seen is normally if you don't kill that deer you're going to get blown out by that deer but normally you you get the opportunity it's just got to be the right deer and it's got to be daylight and so I think that, you know, you guys pretty much nailed that. Did you see any other deer on the trip? Uh, I think we did. Um, but we only hunted, uh, that afternoon and the next morning and we headed home, but we didn't, we didn't kill anything, but it was a very successful, in my opinion, first kind of two days out there, especially cause you and I hadn't been out there to pull those cards and gave me an opportunity to get out, pull some cards, get some intel for when we were coming back. And, uh, you know, the kind of the biggest takeaway I got from that early season there is. Had we been slightly more patient instead of a little antsy, I guess, the hunt because it's opening weekend, we probably could have waited till the afternoon and or, or maybe 
you know, just stayed out of there until we had the right wind because we did figure out it was the hot drainage. And when we had got down that day, there was there was no joke, a scrape line that ran basically three quarters of a mile from the back of that hub to the egg. And when you find that in October, like especially October 1st, you know, those deer, you know, it seemed to be the focal point of all the deer. It was kind of like the community drainage, the community hub almost. And um, if we probably would have been a little more patient and waited till we had the right wind to hunt it in the afternoon where we could get in quiet, uh, I know the deer probably are going to be daylight. If we got all the way back, we probably could have killed um, so, you know, we kind of learned that lesson a few times and I think we learned it again this past trip that sometimes forcing those mornings early season, you know, it's almost impossible because those deer are making it back to bed before daylight and you're almost doing more damage than good. Yeah. And I mean, that's basically the reason that I preached the afternoon thing for, you know, been doing podcasts on and off for four or five years now is just because my success going up those drainages with the wind in my face in the afternoon is so high. And it just seems like every time I get in those drainages in the morning, I just, I, I either blow it out or I never beat the deer back. And I know that that is very situational. Like if you have the right moon phase or you have the right uh, cold front that rolls through or even a weather front, like the rain stops at, you know, 7 a.m. or something like that. Like it could still be very productive. But I feel like in general, those deer, especially the mature bucks, are almost like scent checking or traversing to their core areas before daylight. And that's, they just don't, they, they know they, they're at a disadvantage. And in the afternoon, I feel like they've been sitting above some of these areas all day, looking over them, you know, wind over back, thermals pulling up. And if you can beat that, well, then he's a little more confident that he's good and you can catch that early season drop down. I don't know. And maybe I'm totally wrong there. That's just my personal experiences. And you guys basically witnessed the exact same thing. I mean, I feel like you went through the same thing that I did. And I, like next year, you'll probably be like, well, I'm going to wait for the afternoon in that one spot. But I, I do think that there's also a time for that aggression. And like we talked about, you were 10 minutes away from killing that deer. And this is a totally different conversation. So it can definitely work. But I just feel like our percentage of deer that are coming back before legal shooting light is just really high, especially the mature bucks. And yeah, so so you guys left there. You had some good encounters. Uh, we're obviously thinking about Indiana when we're in Ohio hunting and we had a trip scheduled for the roughly the 22nd to the 26th of October. So we all head back out and um, I basically left that section alone. I thought that you had the edge there because you've already been in it and you kind of saw how the deer were working. And I just didn't want to go in there and blow it up for no reason because I didn't understand it the way you did. So I left that set. You showed up the next day um, and Joey and I went out and we got on a ton of good sign. So basically we were targeting hubs and drainages that ran to ag and i knew the acorns were a little little sparse out there so the idea in my head was let's congregate does and the bucks should want to be generally around the does this time of year so let's just stay in the truck and drive and just hop off the road a couple hundred yards and check each one of these drainages and this is going to launch on the 30th of october so i think this is still really relevant for like four or five days specifically is just covering ground in the vehicle and finding the hot drainage and then figuring out a way to work in there and hunt it, especially if the scrapes are wide open, like the deer are in there. So we did that. We located four or five different drainages that were torched with sign. I mean, the one we walk into, there's a, there's actually active white oaks and they're feeding on browse. It was like this really slimy root that was under, they were digging for it and they were feeding on it like crazy, but there was a cluster of 15 to 18 wide open scrapes within 50 yards. 
I mean, it was just torched. And it's funny because there's a drainage that's closer to the ag field, but that was getting a lot of pressure. We had a camera over there. We checked the camera. We had guys with no shirts with hatchets. We had uh, any guys with rifles walking in there to hunt squirrels or may, I don't know what they were doing. But anyways, it pushed all the deer over one drainage. And so we sat that that first night. We had a doe come in. We didn't have a buck come in. Um, and then we just continued that process throughout the next few days. And we just we eliminated a lot of areas very quickly, and then we found a ton of good sign. We basically hunted over active scrapes the entire trip, and we saw deer every afternoon sit. So this is, once again, the weather wasn't ideal, right? It was hot. So we had a heat wave roll through. It was mid-70s, almost up into the 80s, and seemed like our afternoon sits were very productive. We were getting on deer. Um, they were above us already. So our, th- our wind and our thermals and everything, it was easier to, to play that. In the mornings, we didn't see a single deer in daylight and we had a couple deer blow us out, come in from underneath us and blow us out. So once again, in my head, I'm sitting here like, man, the, the afternoons were so much more productive. Um, day four, I actually ended up going in to... So, so the whole story here is you showed up, you're, you're starting to hunt and find your drainages as well. We're all playing the game. We're all waking up at three or 4 AM and we're not seeing each other until 10 at night. But, um, I hunted a couple drainages, had some really good encounters with does and just couldn't get on a buck while I'm driving to these spots. And I have no camera Intel in any of these areas, except for that first area. And we're driving to this spot over and over. And in the morning we keep seeing bucks in these fields. Like it, it's not a lot of big fields. There's really not a lot of ag. It's just hay fields. It reminds me a lot of these little pockets I find in Ohio. You come out of the hills, you hit the bottom and it's like the, the fields are only a couple hundred yards wide off the road. And in a mile stretch, let's say even a mile and a half stretch, we saw five bucks bigger than anything we had on trail camera out there in the same drainage. So I told Joey, I was like, hey, we're going to hunt this morning and we're going to go figure these deer out. And that's what we did. We ended up scouting that night. Um, we eliminated some drainages. And then Joey went with you the next day. I ended up going in by myself, found, I, I took a blind sit in the morning. I actually found a, a really good scrape line and rub line in the morning with the headlamp, sat over it, heard a buck come in behind me, make a scrape line, got down, figured that out, went over, figured another drainage out. The next one had the biggest rubs I've ever seen in my life coming right off a bed. Like he beds, he J hooks out. These rubs are the size of my waist. I mean, I posted a picture of it. It was, it was unbelievable. People look at that tree and they're like, what kind of, you know, what kind of tree is that? Is that a pine or is that a cedar? I'm like, no, that's a maple tree. Like this deer shredded a maple tree up to my nose and I'm five foot 10. So he was, you know, he was reaching way up this thing. There were saplings on the side of the tree. I mean, if, if it's a, if that sapling is a gauge of how wide that deer is, he's 20 inches wide with ginormous tines, which kind of makes sense because it's the tree that he was rubbing makes a telephone pole look small. Like I actually Googled, are there elk in Indiana when I was sitting there? But, but so, um, I knew that there was a lot of deer that were in that one section to the North of all those drainages, which unfortunately sets up really good for North winds in the afternoon while we had South winds. So I would come in in the morning and hunt that, and then I would bounce across the road in the afternoon, basically just trying to stay close to that pocket of deer I found. And that's the thing about the vehicle is it's so efficient to just be in your vehicle and drive around at gray light and just find where the deer are at. Like if you ask me, it's probably worth a day or two of just doing that and not even stepping foot in the woods. Find the pocket of good deer and a lot of deer and then go make your play. And I learned that too late on this trip. But day four, 
I still went in and found some scrapes on the other side of the road and had a nine or a 10 point, like, I don't know, 125, 130 inch buck. I would have gladly shot him come in at 53 yards. Like he came right down the pipe off his bed. I knew that I, I had two does come down early. They came down the same trail and it was like 605, 610. And I told myself, you need to get down and move over there because that's the trail. Because like, I have no scouting intel of this spot. I just went in completely blind. And it's really thick in there. So I told myself to get down and move. But then I looked at, I was like, I have 50 minutes until dark. Like, I'm not going to move right now with my camera. If I didn't have camera gear and I was just like on the fly, I probably would have got down and just went and sat on a log over there. But with all the camera gear and setting it up, it's going to be dark by the time that I get reset up. So that buck walked down that same trail and I knew I should have been there. And it was a tough pill to swallow, but it is what it is. Um, Hunted that spot the next night and it was the same sort of wind and everything else. And I never saw a deer. So I probably just pressured it a little bit too much that first night, but I had an opportunity if I would have just shifted a little bit. So, um, the big thing for me is I feel like we found a really good pocket of deer a little bit late in the game, but that's okay because that pocket of deer is probably going to be that same pocket next year. So like is is, or even later this season, we probably have the intel we need to start there. I feel like if we would have started there day one of our trip in that pocket of all those big bucks, and I'm talking like the one was probably 150 inches, um, that pocket of good bucks, we would have been able to bounce around and probably get on a deer quicker than we did. And so that same section, we took, we took the last morning sit that we sat, you went in with me. We basically parked in the same spot. We hiked in, you sat that first scrape line and I went and hunted that big rub, that big rub line. And you want to explain the encounter you had a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. This is a a really interesting tactic that honestly, I, I hope we can explore more. Um, but essentially everything Jake explained where he found this, he found this hot pocket of deer and he came back to camp and the thought process was, is like one, it was very unselfish, but like, let's kill a deer here. You know, not just Jake needs to be in your hunting. He basically said like, we need to team hunt this. And so the thought process was, is they're coming up one of two drainages. We need to be at the back of either, or basically at both of them. And one of us is going to get an encounter. And so we went in the morning, um, probably a mile and a half hike. Uh, Joey and I set up in the first drainage. Jake went to the second drainage with the uh, big rubs. And once again, it it's the forcing the, what you think is the rut uh, mindset of these deer are going to be running around all morning because it's late October. Um, when it, that just wasn't the reality. Um, they were hitting scrapes and they were seen, they did seem to be following pockets of does around, uh, but they were still making it back to bed, uh, before daylight. And so we sat at the back of this hub, um, and this, this hub, the top of it was beautiful. It was kind of rolling Hills. Like you described to me, you're like, yeah, I've not had a sit that was this beautiful in a long time. It was really interesting terrain. It, it kind of essentially the train shot straight up right out the gate. And then it kind of was this rolling Hills with pine and cedar thickets. And Joey and I were on the back of the drainage. And we hear the deer coming um, long ways out. And at this point, it's probably 30 minutes before legal. And he just works a scrape line uh, all the way back to us, uh, hitting rubs, uh, hitting scrapes. And he gets to about 35, 40 yards um, and just hammers this scrape right in front of us. And we, you know, had nothing to do but sit there and just listen to him, you know. And uh, at this point, you know, it's still hard to kind of see the, your hands in front of your face. It's it's kind of real early gray light. Um, but we can kind of make him out. Uh, we're listening to him and he just kind of walks off and just disappears out of our life and goes and lays down. Um, if I had to guess, he's probably bedded at that point, anywhere within a hundred yard radius of where we're, we're sitting. Um, and, and I also, 
it's hard for me not to think that he didn't get our thermals because there was a well-walked trail that continued that scrape line that we were set up on. And that was a tree you had, had scouted. And, you know, if you think about it in the morning, you know, before daylight, it's still cool. Your thermals are still dropping and we're sitting on a, a basically a, a point and where our thermals are dumping into kind of a drainage, kind of a little ravine. And he is on the other side of that ravine, but he's still below us. And he just worked a scrape line from the egg all the way to the back of the drainage. And he stopped at the scrape right in front of us. And, you know, that kind of tells me he probably knew something was up. Um, but yeah, I, ha- I have no doubt in my mind that that was a, that was a much bigger deer than anything we've encountered in Indiana. Um, a few reasons. The sign that you'd found those rubs in the area just tells us there's bigger deer in the area. You and Joey had seen bigger deer in the egg fields uh, throughout the week driving there. But, you know, just the deer that has the mindset uh, to be back in his bed before dark, to work a scrape line that long, uh, and then catch our thermals and, and just meander off, um, you know, it, it kind of tells you this buck's bedding up in the pines all alone. Like he's not a, he's not a two-year-old. You know, he's not acting dumb. He was very methodical. Um, so I don't know, another missed opportunity there, but hell of a hunt, man. And uh, it was a, a great experience for Joey and I. Yeah. And I just think that in that situation, there's just nothing else that we can do. I'm mean, You're literally within a hundred yards of that buck's bed. And it's the last, I mean, it's the last section of open hardwoods that you can hunt before it's pines and thick and you cannot shoot, you know, 10, 15 yards. So all we needed was multiple times was just these deer to cooperate in the morning and just come back a little bit late. And I think that the biggest factor there is a, the moon phase probably had a play in it and B, the temperature definitely did. It was, I mean, that morning it was like what in the sixties when we were walking in, I mean, it was hot where if that was in the forties, that deer is probably coming back 10, 15, 20 minutes later, and he's going to make a little bigger loop and we're probably going to have an opportunity. So I think weather patterns are important. And some of these trips are tough when it's out of state because you have predetermined dates. But if I could, you know, do it my way, it would be, hey, let's wait until we get the right front that's going to roll through and then let's go make our move and be there probably even during that front switch. That way we can get all the scouting intel through driving and finding these pockets that we need. And then we just strike. But but as you know, as many encounters as we had, we did end up getting on a lot of deer there. Um, the sign is they're laying the sign down. I think that we found pockets of bigger deer, of older deer for a couple different reasons. And I just think that that's stacking up. I think that the next time we go out there, we're going to be able to just start there and really be in the game. Um, unfortunately, we are going to have to call the game warden and verify some things because we're following that deer's rub line out on top of the ridge to, an, to an, that hay field in the bottom. And you and I are walking side by side, literally following his perfect rub line. I mean, it's textbook. And then there's like one piece of corn on the ground and then another kernel and then another kernel. And they're all spread out like five feet apart. And at first we're like, is there, you know, squirrels or chipmunks bringing this from somebody's corn pile or what's going on? We did a little bit more investigating. We found that there is a uh, person in there that broadcasted a bag of corn. We found the folded bag. And this is pretty much right off the road, by the way. Like we were hunting pretty far back, but it's still within like seven or 800 yards of our spot. Um, but there is a corn bag with some corn broadcasted and, oh man, what was the name of that stand? What do they call it? What did, uh, Jacob and Curtis say it was? I think it was a, a mung. Well, yeah. Among H-M-O-N-G. Is that what it is? So we yeah. posted a picture of it and they responded immediately like, oh, that's a, it's a mung setup. They do that a lot in Minnesota. And basically it's like this guy took a hatchet through the woods, cut down a ton of stuff, which you're not allowed to do. And then he 
tied this contraption up in the tree. I might make this, I'll make the picture the cover for the Instagram post. So if you guys are listening, go check out Instagram or Facebook and you'll see the picture of this thing. But basically it looked like like the guy should be an engineer because he had to have the right length of trees with the right V's in the right spot to support what he wanted. But basically he's getting up on this little sketchy platform. He's climbing a log that he just laid sideways at a 45 degree angle, climbing up some branches. He used Walmart paracord and tied all these <laughs> trees together, made like a three by three platform to stand on, which is really sketchy. Joey was like hitting it with his hand and it, it looks like it's going to fall. But then he has a shooting rack for a rifle and it's the middle of bow season. So he's got a corn pile. The guy's rifle hunting out of a, sta- a legal stand over an illegal corn pile. And the thing that is in the back of our heads is like, we just found our best location. This is where we need to be. It's the biggest deer, the highest density of deer. The sign makes sense. It's very, we can go out in the rut and I really think we're going to drag a deer out of there. But the path of travel of that deer is definitely being steered. And we just have to figure out how long that, like how, what yardage or what range is it acceptable for us to be hunting again? Because we're over a half mile from that corn pile, but is that corn pile directing that deer on the spine of the ridge and then he's running that spine? I, I don't know the answer and I don't know if anybody knows the answer to that, but I, I just want to make sure that we're okay. And if we're not okay, it's like, okay, let's shift a drainage, but how far do we have to shift? And that's something I run into a lot here in Ohio too, is whether it's mineral piles, corn piles, got a lot of good spots where people come in and they do the wrong thing. And I've even captured them on camera doing the wrong thing. And the conversation with the game wardens is always like, well, what do I do now? You know, I'm in this spot for a particular reason. It's not my fault this guy dumped mineral in a hub scrape in September. Like I have no control over that. So how far do I have to move away? I actually, that giant typical I've talked about uh, chasing in 2020, I didn't hunt that deer the following year because of that. I stayed out of that area because that summer, somebody put a giant mineral lick in the middle of the hub scrape that I had in that system. And I had to avoid that area for a year and just to make sure that I was in the clear. So we just have to verify, verify some things there. Um, to be honest with you, I'm kind of glad we didn't kill that deer that came in on you guys because that would have been a tough situation to be in, killing a deer, you know, seven or 800 yards away on top of the same ridge that there's a corn pile on, even though we have no effect over that. So I don't know. I don't know where we stand with that. We're going to have to make some calls and I want to hunt that area for sure because man, both sides of that road for over a mile are torched with big buck sign. And I, I can't even imagine how big that deer is. He's got to be a giant buck to make rubs like that. So so yeah, Indiana's, uh, is it a sleeper state? I would say probably not, at least on public, but I do think that there is a lot of opportunity there. I think that you can get into good caliber of deer. I do think that the average two-year-old or three-year-old is much smaller than a state like Ohio. To be honest with you, on average, like in Ohio, a three-year-old could be 150 inches. And I think we got some three-year-olds in Indiana that are like 105 inches or even like 80 inches. And then we have two-year-olds that are, you know, tiny little bucks. So um, it just really, I mean, for me, it's like there's a lot of ground out there. It's really not getting hunted that hard. And I just think that it's it's an area that the terrain's a lot of fun. It's beautiful. It's You can get really far away from people in some areas and just have a really nice hunt and just watch deer do deer things. And I do enjoy that a lot. So I do think that it offers a ton. Um, to be honest with you, moving forward, I think it's my number two state. I think that with what we found now and this new ca- this new class of buck that we found, I do think that we could probably chase like 150 inch deer out there every year and probably be really close to killing him. So what do you feel? How do you feel about it? 
feel good. Um, honestly, kind of looking forward to the same thing and just compiling information, you know, um, it, it honestly would be great to have success out there this year, but our first, uh, you're kind of really picking that apart. You know, it's, it's more so an adventure and a learning experience. And I, I'm definitely looking forward, already, I hate saying it, to the offseason to to get some boots on the ground out there and, and just kind of take what we thought we knew and what we learned and use that to figure out the new the new stuff. And um, there's there's a lot of opportunity out there. There's just a lot more land than, you know, areas I'm used to here in Ohio. And uh, that makes the game very fun, you know, because what you're looking for is out there. You know, it's just a game of getting getting your feet on the ground and finding it. So uh, very excited for that. I am too. And it's it's so cool that we ended up roughly 45 minutes away from where all our camera sets were. Like we pre-scouted and even hunted a little bit. And then we shifted 45 minutes based off of visual observations driving around. And just that fine tuning is what I think is going to make us really dangerous out there. It's the ability to just say, you know what, I don't care that I have a dozen cameras here. Let's just go down where we're seeing deer right now because we're not having success up here. And I'm curious to see how that continues to evolve. Um, I do want to, I want to scout that area bad because like for me, it's so hard to go in blind not knowing where anything's really at. Like, I don't know where a single bed is at in that spot. There's a couple thickets where I can assume there's some beds, but I have no idea. Like those deer could be traveling another half mile and we just, we, we have no idea. So I do think that with how close we've been, I mean, we both had shooters in range that last day that we hunted under 55 yards. And so just moving forward with that, it's like, okay, we already got close without knowing any of that. Wait till we know everything we need. And I think we're going to be a lot more dangerous. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a little off topic, but it's probably something worth uh, talking about. Um, we kind of both experienced the same hiccups, so to speak, on the nights we had encounters. Um, you know, I, I had a, a hub that I hunted. I completely blew it out in the afternoon, but I did have a buck come down. Um, but it essentially, we did 95% of the work of finding the right system and then finding the area the deer were, but that last 5% of not fine tuning it, you know, that we can do this off season is the difference between killing and coming home empty handed. Um, I had a, a couple does pitched down, um, one ended up getting behind me underneath me and I just spent too much time in there and started getting my scent and basically blew out. But what I didn't know at the time is there had been a buck that had pitched down and was standing on the hill you know, about 80 yards behind me and he blew out when the does blew out. But you know, the takeaway there was, is we did enough work to get in the game, but we didn't do enough work to close the game. And that to me is something that's just glaring in my head that, you know, next year in the spring, you know, we better be scouting and finding the locations we want to hunt, but we better be finding the right kill tree. We better be taking notes and figuring out what, when we need to be in that tree on and how we need to access it. Because those small details, you know, are the difference of having to go to Indiana two to three times this year versus just having to go once, you know. Um, so it was a, a real good learning experience all around, really. Um, just excited to get back out there. But this is probably another note on that same topic that I think you experienced with the hunt that you saw that block. You know, he did what big bucks do. He sat up the top and waited for the does to come down. And he, this is just critical in these hub systems is he stood up top and he watched for movement and he saw where those does walked. And that's the trail he decided to take. It's the same thing I noticed the night I blew my hub out. That buck, you know, maybe they're betting over that military crest and they do have 
a lot of advantage up there site-wise, but right now there's still a lot of green up. And he came to where he could see and he just stood up top and he just monitored everything that was going on before he decided to come down. You know, and had I not been one blown out by the does, but messing around trying to film the does and all this stuff and just sitting still, probably get a chance. Um, but just another another major learning experience for myself out there this year. But it's yeah. gonna be interesting going back. So I feel the same way. And it's there's a lot to like we need to figure out how to hide two guys better too with you know having a camera guy a lot of the time it's just it's just two people in the tree instead of one where with one you just you know you just sit there but with two it's like okay we somebody's going to be hanging off the back of the tree so we have to try to get them oriented to where where the deer comes from they're going to be staged behind the tree and we want them to have cover because he's going to be working a camera and that's a that's a whole thing that we got to figure out i don't know the answer to that yet but i just know that it's in my head every time I go out now, like, how can I get a camera guy in this tree and how can we be successful? And it's it's going to be a work in progress over the next couple of years. I think we're going to be able to figure it out. I tried tried hunting low a couple of times. I tried hunting super high, like Joey's head was at like 30 feet one time. You know, we're kind of all over the map and just trying to do the best I can with that. So I think as we go further into season, that's going to become more critical as the leaves just continue to drop. And maybe we look for, you almost start hunting a tree. And I don't want to do that because when you're hunting a tree, it just changes the game entirely. Like I need to shoot this trail. I want to shoot. I want to be in this tree, but I can't be in this tree. I want, I need to be in the tree that's split 30 yards back. Well, now the deer comes out at 50 and you're too far out of the game. So we'll have to figure that out. It's going to take a little bit of fine tuning, I think. If anybody has any advice there, just reach out to Corey or I, and I would love to hear what you got to say about that because it's it's definitely the biggest challenge that I'm facing right now is like access wise, I think we're good. Like, you know, we're getting in clean because we can be very choosy about our routes and stay in cover and go slow and things like that. But when we actually get in the tree, it's, we got two guys. <laughs> we're trying to figure that out, I guess. Um, but hey, we're going into... I guess we're midway through scrape week, but in Ohio, I think scrape week is probably until like November 4th or 5th. So we're probably just starting our scrape week here. Uh, yesterday it was in the seventies. Today it's in the sixties. Tomorrow's going to be the fifties and then it's going to be in the forties. So scrape week is lining up perfectly with good moon phase. It's lining up perfectly with a front rolling out and some colder temperatures. And I think a lot of people are probably going to be in the woods, A, in Ohio, but B, across the country chasing this front this week. So where's your head at with it? What's your plan? How have you set yourself up for success? Oh, man, my, my head is just excited. You know, it's kind of it's kind of almost feels like a new opening day, you know, kind of get a, a front rolling at the the seeking phase of the rut. And um, my my plan is just to hunt as hard as possible. You know, I got some deer I've been chasing in Ohio and it's it's definitely a different story than Indiana. You know, out of state versus in state is is very different um, for these kind of strategies, in my opinion, where I'm going to try to be a lot more calculated. Um, but I have some good bucks that I do have some camera intel on. And right now, you know, it's just the, it's the time of the year to spend the time in the woods. So basically, I'm going to try to hunt every morning, every afternoon I can um, from here till, you know, the front rolls out. And I think we're supposed to get another rainstorm and seven, eight days, but, um, I don't know. I just don't want to leave the woods. I'm going to hunt as hard as I possibly can the next few days. Cause I think it's probably gonna be the best time of the year. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah. I, I agree with you. And for anybody coming to Ohio, I can't really speak on other areas very much. I guess New York I can. Um, but those two States in particular, I have quite a bit of experience now. And I would say that through running cameras the past you know, 10 years, in New York in the last five years in Ohio, the thing that I've realized about this week 
is that the majority of the mature buck travel, in my opinion, happens between like 9.30 in the morning and 2.30 in the afternoon. And so for me, I know that in the past, one thing that I've done is I, I would hunt, you know, I'd wake up at three, drive to my spot, get out there, hunt until let's say 10 o'clock at the latest, I'd get down, I'd come back at two, I'd check my camera and that buck was there at 1230. And it's not like that happened once. It's happened on my cameras, I mean, probably a hundred times in the last five years, I've had a mature buck hit a scrape between 10 and two o'clock. And so for me, I'm going in after a very specific deer. I'm going to try to catch him moving between two doe bedding areas at some point on a couple trails. Like I've got a couple trails and trees picked out and I, my goal, let's say I've got two trees. I've got it fine tuned to that point. I will sit that tree 10 days in a row all day if that's what it's going to take to kill this deer. And it is going to be brutal, but that's just the point I'm at is I, I don't want to be walking around when he's still moving. I don't want to be, I don't want him to walk by the tree that I was in if I'm not there in daylight. You know, this is like, if you've ever listened to Bobby Worthington, and if you haven't, you should, you should go find a podcast with Bobby Worthington. He talks about this time of year and finding very particular trees that the deer is going to walk by more than any other tree and then spending every waking minute in that tree. And if you need to get down and scout, he does that at night. And I've done a lot of that at night. And, you know, Johnny Stewart's done that at night. And I can go through a bunch of guys that Byron Horton checks cameras at night. Like there's ways to still get intel in other places. But I do think that the number one thing right now is if you're close, if you're, you know, in between a couple doe bedding areas right outside of this buck's bed or a couple bedrooms, I think one of the best things you can do is just put your butt in a stand and just do not move. And so that's what my goal is, is the way I look at it, I can look at this range that he's in, this you know range of hills, and I can say at some point in the next 10 days in daylight, he's going to travel from point A to point B. I probably have 10 trees I can kill him from when he does that. I'm going to pick one and I'm going to make sure my wind is right in that tree. I've got a couple for different wind directions. I'm just going to sit. And if I don't kill him, I know I, I gave it all, everything I got. But that's a lot different than sitting blindly somewhere too. Like these areas, there's active scrapes. I'm getting him hitting these scrapes. There's rub lines. I know where the bedding's at. I'm just not picking a tree in the woods and sitting there like this is fine-tuned. And I do think that if you don't have that intel, what I would do is I would burn a day and go out and find that intel at the beginning of this week before this front hits you know, really hard on like Tuesday. And I would just go find the tree that I need to sit in and just get ready and just sit that tree and make sure, you know, look at the forecast out for the next seven to 10 days, try to see what the wind's going to do. Just make sure that you don't have, uh, that you're not sitting there trying to find a tree to sit. And I, I personally, I know that that for a specific deer, that's my mentality. Um, if I wasn't after a specific buck, I probably have a very similar mentality, but I do like sitting hubs a lot too. Just hub scrapes and bottoms if the wind is aligned the right direction, because I feel like they do dive down quite a bit throughout the day. But I personally, I'm not hunting a hub at all over the next seven to 10 days. I'm hunting the upper third of the ridge just because this deer is different than some other deer that I've chased. So I think it's going to be an exciting time to be in the woods. I think the stars are pretty much aligning. I have a feeling a ton of deer are going to get killed this week. It's It should be, I mean, in my opinion, it's probably going to be the best week of the year. So I'm super excited. It's going to be a lot of fun, man. It'll be a lot of fun. Sweet November. Yeah, it's here. Yeah, well, for it all year. Well, cool, no. dude. Thanks for hopping on. Um, when you kill, we're going to have to have a kill podcast. I think that you're, you're a couple days out. You've been on these deer <laughs> for the entire season and just, I mean, it's been so close. It's unbelievable. Like I keep, every time you go out, I'm like, well, today's the day. And you're like, oh, I didn't get him. And then he shows up 
And it's like, oh my gosh, he's just kind of toying with you. But I think that he's about to expose a big weakness. So go kill that sucker. I'm going to try to kill mine. Let's try to get out to Indiana again before gun season hits. And uh, let's let's ramp things up a little bit. Do it, Jake. Appreciate you, man. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Where can people find out more about you, Corey? Uh, over on Instagram, uh, Corey Godor. And, you know, all our hunts uh, will be on the Latitude YouTube channel this year. So uh, over with the grit stuff. And uh, so check out Latitude. Uh, check out the YouTube channel. There's a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, even to watch this year uh, from last year's on. So that's where it's all at. Yeah. Hey, one more thing too. So uh, Latitude is is finally all caught up on orders and getting things shipped out. So Corey, um, what's our what's our estimated shipping time right now if somebody places a new order? Yeah. So uh, we did bring our fulfillment back in house, which is awesome. Uh, the guys have just been kicking butt, catching up. And uh, the good news is, is anything ordered on a weekday now before two o'clock Eastern time will go out that same day. If it's ordered after two o'clock, it'll go out the next day. So uh, you're looking at a couple of days shipping window, uh, but you know the, the processing and handling's uh, as fast as it's ever been, and uh, excited to be back to that. So if you need some gear, uh, great time to check check stuff out. You'll get sticks and whatever you need uh, in time for November. So yeah, yeah, it should ship out really quick. If you guys do need anything, make sure you use the discount code in session. That'll save you twenty percent off your order. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. I hope that you guys get to get out in the woods this week and. Should be a lot of fun. Reach out to me if you kill something. I love hearing the success stories and hopefully we can get a couple of you guys on the podcast to talk about that as well. So yeah, Corey, thanks for hopping on, man. Appreciate you. Absolutely, Jake. Later. All right, everybody. That's a wrap for today's show. Thank you for listening. If you could, please head over to iTunes, leave a five-star rating and a written review. See you next time.